December 20, 2018, it's a lot from Pedro's show. I'm going to go for a little, uh, let's see. Wow. I'll be blowing, man. I'll be blowing when I go into the melody. This is uh, insert one.
Juan from Pedro Show. Hey, brother Matt. Hey, how's it going? Happy birthday. Glad to be here. Yeah, on a Thursday. Yeah. Huh? And you had Burrito Day yesterday. Yeah, coming off a of Burrito Day. Yeah, was it a good one? Yeah, yeah, 35th annual. Have you ever called them dung bags? No. Okay, I think those are the microwave ones. <laughs> they used to call them bean rolls. The little ones, like a Taco Bell, would be bean rolls. They uh, I used worth... to be a burrito chef. Uh, oh, yeah? Whoa, cool. there's our guest, brother Matt, all cool. the way from Welcome. Uh, New York City. Welcome. In Brooklyn, right? It's Mr. Yep, Mark yep. Rebo. Brooklyn Welcome Burritos. Yeah, I was just, uh, Nels Klein just you. wrote me. He said he uh, recorded with you last week. That's right, we did. Chris, Chris Davis's record. It's going to be a great record, too. Oh, bitchin'. Uh, well, we started the show off with Sunship. John Coltrane, uh, Rudy Von Gelder says, Take three, insert one. So I think this was a cl- either a fix for a clam or a clam itself. <laughs> but it's a documented thing, and I, I picked it because Mark Rebo Trio after that with the live version of Sunship. Uh, you know, uh, Nels did a whole, with Greg Bendy and like all of Interstellar Space. Right, right. And I was at one of those... An admirable undertaking. Yeah, balls out. I mean, I saw one of the things they they did did put a couple live tunes, and one of them was from a Shittin' Factory show I saw sitting there with Lee Ronaldo. Yeah, pretty balls out. Uh, Henry Kaiser asked me to do something in February, and I told him I was scared shit. He says he's got buddies. In fact, uh, buddies uh, now is Wayne Pete on the organ, Vinnie... uh, uh, Golia on the soprano sax and uh, oh they're going to do the heavy lifting Watt but come on <laughs> Jesus Christ and, uh, training wheel for the 61 oh, yeah. year old B-boy <laughs> birthday boy yeah right, Mark right. tell me your earliest music memory I'm hearing some breaking you're breaking up there I'm sorry tell me Hello? your early Tell me your earliest musical memory. My earliest musical memory, probably my earliest sound memory. Uh, you know, I can't distinguish some. My my earliest, okay, too early. My earliest sonic memory was uh, when they were must have been washed in some sink, and I remember hearing this amazing. The first sound I was aware of was the sound. The, horrible sucking noises the water ran out the drain yeah. like you know and i remember thinking i was going to go down the drain and in a sense i did but the first musical act music music experience i remember was like my mom took me to the supermarket and she must have left me in the front seat of the car or something um uh, while she went into the supermarket, you know, at the at the the Safeways or whatever it was in Orange, New Jersey, ah. and uh, and this song by Harry, this song by Harry Belafonte came on uh, that had the lyric, "My heart is down, my head is spinning around." Oh, oh, it was at the Kingsway supermarket or something like that, or Kingston, whatever it was. Because I had and and Harry Belafonte was saying I had to leave a little girl in Kingston Town, and you know, and I I heard the lyrics and I became terrified. I thought I always suspected that they just do that. They leave little kids in the supermarket and they never come back. And like you know, then she wasn't there and I was freaking out. So I remember that was my first music. The first music I remember. Now it was traumatic. 
at the pad, were your parents uh, listeners or players? No, not at all. Like, my mom had been like a Bobby Soxer, which I guess meant she would listen, wear white Bobby Socks and listen to white big band people like Glenn Miller, you know. Uh, so she was way into that. And But do like probably black dancing styles like jitterbugging, you know. Okay. Uh, so, um, but no, they didn't play music around the house. My, my father played harmonica. Um, okay. and you know, he, may he rest in peace. You know, he was a very passionate harmonica player, chromatic even. Whoa. Um, I inherited, I inherited his chromatica, but, um, he, he had a terrible sense of time. I, I probably inherited that too. But he uh, probably didn't play in ensembles. He probably did solo. So it didn't matter. Like the Bob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. Uh, can you remember the first record you bought for yourself? Yeah, I did. Uh, I think I bought two. Um, I bought two records. Of, oh, I can't remember which I bought first. Okay, but um, I, you know, I don't know what's happened to me since. But I started out with really good taste. I bought. bought um, I. I I st- the first one, first ones were the Beatles record Rubber Soul, and I f- think another side of Bob Dylan record, whichever whichever one had Masters of War on it. Anyways, um, and then also some that's free wheeling. Maybe it would. It might be. Oh free yeah, maybe free wheeling. That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of those, and um, and maybe soon after or maybe it was one of the first two um, I got um, Miles Davis uh, live at the Antibes Jazz Festival oh yeah uh, what about at school did you get involved with like choir or the jazz band or the marching band or shit like that uh, yeah I was in like orchestra or something playing trumpet you wow. know it's like I wasn't you know I wasn't very imaginative like you know they said you know, what instrument do you want to play? Um, and all the girl, you know, all the boys said trumpet and all the girls said violin, except for, well, except for this one guy, Michael, who said violin. You know, he, he was smart. Um, <laughs> and trumpet left, you know, I was actually really good on trumpet. Well, maybe that's, you know, why, I had you got, this teacher. Maybe that's why you got the uh, Miles record. Yeah, that was, well... Actually, the Miles record, that was the reason. But also, yeah, it was also because my friend's old, you know, I'm an oldest brother, so I didn't, you know, so to, for hipness, I looked at my friend had an older brother, and we used to see what he was checking out, and he had a Miles Davis record, and we thought that was so cool. So that's why I got that, and I, because I played trumpet. And so, but, you know, right away I heard the Miles Davis record, and it kind of, like ruined me because I went in my I was like I said I was really good but my teacher was um, this guy Salvatore Grimaldi like classic old well classical European classical musician type trumpet player and like so after I got the Miles record I put it on I said Mr. Grimaldi I want you to teach me to play like that and uh, I said uh, well, uh, well uh, let me see now and so then <laughs> So he said, he put on the chart, I remember the chart he put, 
in front of me was, uh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. And he just says, you know, well, you play the notes, and then when you get on one note, you do a embellishment, like, you know, like, do a trill or something, like or whatever those things are called, those little embellishments. And somehow, you know, I did what he said, but I knew right away that this I was never going to get to playing Miles Davis like that. Okay. Anyways, well, then in a few years I got braced. That ways was all over. Did you do any of the marching band like at the football game shit? Um, I didn't do that. Although, because I know they carry um, trumpets. You know, many. Right, right. But decades later, when I told the story about how I used to play um, trumpet uh, when I was in Tom Waits band, that was a big mistake. Because he right away made me get a trumpet to play it. <laughs> so I had, at that point, I hadn't played in like 20 years, you know, and then there I was playing playing lines in front of thousands of people. It was really crazy. Total I, I have an e Bombardino, which I bring on demonstrations, you know, or whenever I'm bored, I you know, it's portable. Whoa. That's bitching. Uh, yeah, so... I want to play something here... Uh, Combite. Did I pronounce that right? Kumbit. Yes, Kumbit by Franz Caseus. Kumbit. Okay, here we go. Yeah. I, knew I, I knew I would fuck yeah. that up. <laughs> just knew it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is one of your earlier ones. It. That uh, Mary Ho flowed me. Tipoon uh, learned from a guy who taught him flamenco. I, I, I like acoustic. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's how I... I Franz was my teacher uh -huh. uh, when I just learned guitar, you know. We're going to get to the um, guitar right after I put the music on you.
Gold.
Almost every day 
my cake out in the rain Called me ugly and disgusting Because I was not Christian
Waffle right. Pedro Show. Kumbi, Mark Rabo. Uh, yeah. What were you saying about that? You're, you're, well, we'll get to it. Uh, next, uh, we had the Father Figures. I'm going to play with them tonight because celebrate my oh, yeah, yeah. brother Matt in Strong Beach. Hotel San Pedro. They wrote, wrote a tune about be, being in our town. Oh, cool. I think playing at Harold's Place or something. <laughs> this biker's bar. And I can't believe that does gigs now, but they do. <laughs> then we had Mood Indigo. Mark Ribbo, Rootless Cosmopolitans. Still houseplants out of Glasgow with punch bag. And finally, Mark Rebo's Ceramic Dog with Pennsylvania 66666. So that must be a tribute to your mother's swing band thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, like, the well, band would stop, all, all, the horn, all the horn section and shit would stop, and they'd yell out some kind of phone number. <laughs> Go ahead. Right, it's, well, it's kind of a cross. It's a cross between that... Um, that big band tune, and uh, um, I mean, the actual inspiration was uh, Shazada Smiley, who plays bass. Oh, I know Shazada. Here, let me tell you about Shazada. He wants to transcribe my bass solos. <laughs> Guy's <a> beautiful man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He really is. He's you a know, wonderful cat. Okay, so it was his idea. That's right. He's the bass man yeah. of Ceramic Dog and uh, Chess Smith on the drums. Had well, the lyric from that tune, Shazad came up with a with a bass line, and then we were playing the bass line, and he, he was talking about um, somehow we were talking about his growing up. You know, um, his parents were were from Pakistan, right? And but he grew up in Dan- Danville, uh, Pennsylvania. Right. Um, I guess there wasn't, and and Shazad's kind of an unusual uh, human being, anyway. And he had a kind of a rough time growing up because he wasn't like the other kids. So that was the inspiration. In, yeah. in other words, they beat the shit out of him on a regular basis. So that was the inspiration for that song. What, what am I thinking of? Uh, William Golden, uh, Lord of the Flies. Kids are just wonderful. You know, it's so funny. Yeah, well, they, 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 there's a movie made with amateur children a- actors, right? And uh, when they get rescued, yeah. they go right back to the little kid shit. But when the adults are gone, you know, Ralph, Piggy, all that fucking shit. Little kids. Yeah, yeah. You gotta watch it. So I'm glad you wrote a song like that. Mark, tell us about how you got on guitar from trumpet. Well, it had a lot to do with... It had to do with two things. Keith Richards and Braces. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Braces. You know, I mean... Ambusher, yeah. Well, that's... Keith Richards, you know, like, and the Rolling Stones, that was like one of my inspirations for wanting to play a guitar. But, um, you know, uh, Braces hastened the transition because, like, it hurts to play trumpet when you have braces. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got off, I kind of stopped practicing trumpet and put my efforts towards guitar. Well, how'd you get your first guitar? Um, well, you know, like Franz Cassais, it's kind of a weird story, but he was a friend of my, he was like a friend of my family. Like he lived on the same block. My aunt was a songwriter in New York. Um, uh, I mean, she wrote songs under the name of, uh, of, of, of Rhoda Roberts, but her real name was Rhoda Unger. And Franz lived on her block and they were friends and they shared a car and like, you know, and we had holidays with them, you know, Thanksgiving, 
Passover, whatever. And so when I said, I, you know, I was listening to stuff on the radio, I said, I want to play guitar, you know. I don't hear trumpet heroes on, well, at least on the, you know, on the pop radio I was listening to. Except you know, Sly I Stone. Play. You should have been listening to Sly Stone. Yeah, I think they had a lady on trumpet. So, yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. I was listening to the wrong stuff, clearly. But um, <laughs> anyway, so, but the way it worked is like you know they said, well, Franz plays guitar. <laughs> it didn't matter that he was like a classical, and you know I was like I don't know I was ten years old. What did I know? So yeah. because he was a friend of the family, and I guess he needed a gig. You know he he was looking for students. It was decided that I would go into New York every week and study with him, and that's what I did. Oh wow! So you know that's that's how I learned. And, and so it, your first, first guitar thought, is acoustic guitar, then. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I immediately wanted to. That's not why I wanted to play guitar. I didn't think I want to play classical guitar. No, you might be Keith I, Richards I mean, on electric guitar. Unless exactly. You're doing, unless you're doing and wild so, horses, <laughs> you can play acoustic for wild yeah. horses. <laughs> Right, right. But I wasn't thinking about that. I, I want to play electric guitar. And yeah. Pretty quickly, I acquired some cheap guitar, and, and soon I had a garage band in a real garage. That was the beauty of New Jersey, Yeah, is if you wanted to have a garage, there was tons of garages. So after school, some buddies, what, did, did this first band have a name? Well, okay, you know, for yes, it did. <laughs> we were called Love Gun. <laughs> There's a Kiss song. There's a Kiss song called that. <laughs> well, well, it's a Zeppelin tune, but I didn't. And and I that the original um, lyric didn't come from like so many things that we think are from sixties uh, rock groups. I'm, I, you know, I'm gonna go. Will it knock me off there if I go online? Because that lyric actually came from. Did let? How can I say this uh, politely? Did not originate with Led Zeppelin. There is. It's a. Well, I, I remember. I, I remember it from Kiss. There's a. There's, I think there's a Al, Kiss album right. called Love Gun. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, this that album Kiss was. Uh, this is se- like late seventies. Uh, this is like late seventies. I think it's the yeah, one. Yeah, I'm talking like seventy-seven. I think that one. Yeah. I'm talking late '60s. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. So maybe it was you know, Kiss that stole the name Love Gun from Led Zeppelin, and not you. Right? Yeah, Kiss did it. It's all Kiss's <laughs> Kiss, fault. That's right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to see who wrote that lyric. Okay, I got, I've got you sights of my love gun. Let's see. Thanks. The internet really is a good thing. There's some okay. parts. Some parts. It says Albert King here. Okay. Yeah. Brother Matt. Yeah. Brother Matt had a blues shows for many years. I had dinner with Albert King once. Yeah, Brother Matt had dinner with Albert King. I think he played a guitar upside down without changing the strings. The big flying V. Yep. Whoa. Yeah, he, it wasn't like Jimmy where he switched the strings. He played the motherfucker upside down. Right. Right. Well, I... I I'm, I'm actually left-handed, and I play right-handed. That's what Kay did, because she thought the strong finger was ham was supposed to be the fingering one, <laughs> not the plucking one. Yeah, well, you know, luckily for both of us, 
we play with both hands, really. Um, you know, but uh, or or we try to, anyways. Did, did, did uh, Love Gun do any gigs? Yeah, we would play like at kids, other kids' parties, you know, like and and you know the occasional bar mitzvah. You know, we actually made some money, you know, like they would actually pay us money to do that that thing. And we played at our school talent show in junior high, and the gym teacher pulled the plug on it with us. It was very humiliating for all of us. <laughs> I remember one gig that we played, we were playing at some bar mitzvah. I almost died because the toilet overflowed, and my amp started sounding funny. And I think we, we were in the middle of the Wilson Pickett song, Midnight Hour. Yeah, I know and that. I, you, know, I was, you know, I was really enjoying playing that guitar part. Uh, it was one of the few that I could play, and um, and and I reached back to the amp, and the toilets had overflowed, and and like there was like a whole river of crappy water enveloping yeah, the amp. Fried myself. I almost got fried sewage. Well, on, I'm glad on you my didn't person. get electrocuted. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised too. I nearly yeah, did. I think that's what happened to Gary Thane and Uriah Heep. Oh, they man, wow. got electrocuted on stage. Man, I, I really, yeah, yeah. yeah no, the crowd thinks it's special effects. Yeah, they think it's a, a part of the act. <laughs> right, right. How long did Love Gun last? Uh, Love Gun went on. For a few years, I think, you know, that was like encompassed late, late junior high. Uh, and by early high school, I, it's, no, by, by mid high school, I was in, uh, had refounded a different band with, um, it was based on, uh, I don't know if I want to say this on the, so much on the radio, but it was like, it was people who would, you know, we were taking similar drugs, and we decided. And and that band's name, the new band's name was Smegma. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a Smegma on the West break, Coast. I was like, in fact, I think they're still around. Really? Yeah, the L.A. Free Music Society in the seventies, and they moved up to Oregon. Richard Meltzer was part of it for a little uh-huh. while. Yeah, their albums oh, sound okay, like well, uh, great. Their albums sound like. You, you, you turn on all your TVs and radios in your room and you record the whole fucking thing. <laughs> and incidental noises are really trippy. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, December 20, 2018. Special B-Day for what? <laughs> Special right. guest Mark Rabot, Brother Matt. Hold tight for hour two. Yeah. December 20, oh. 2018. It's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro Show.
Then I can get you another one. No, 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 no. Oh no! It was my teddy bear. Talking, a cloud passed and cast a pool of light around her. I saw that she was not a little girl. Ooh. You are a woman. No, no. Little girl crying. This song is a right to petition.
must look like a shreve. That's way too big.
Watch for Pedro Show. We start off the second hour with Los Cubanos Posizos. Posotizos. It's a, 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 a prosthetic. Cubano prosthetics. And all the Yaris Mas. And then uh, something from Turkey, Signet uh, Sepechi with Entasi uh, Dim Dim Yar. Yoko Ono, she's still making records mm-hmm. at 85 with Teddy Bear. Sun Watchers and Eugene Chadbourne, oh, Dr. Huge, doing uh, one of my songs mm-hmm. I wrote for Minuteman called, well, he just calls it a political song, but I I called it a political song for Mike Jackson is to sing. And I sent it to his management. I thought. If Mike Jackson sang this song, Mittman would never have to explain themselves ever again. And his people never wrote me. <laughs> <laughs> they never wrote have, me have, you had to explain, have you had to explain yourself before? <laughs> <laughs> Billy Boy from Bullets or Balloons. They're from Spokanistan, or as like the people up there like to call it, Little Town of Methuahan. And then Bernays Propaganda out of Skopje, Macedonia. We're going to talk with them next month, Brother Matt. Brother Vasco. And finally, Songs of Resistance, The Big Fool. Tell, tell us something about, uh, no, look, we're going to pick up from high school. You're doing a review of oldies mixed with MC5. Right, right, right. The Milburn Grease Band, like I say, pre-Shanana uh, retro band. So, you know, we would, I don't know, do weird things. Throw hamburgers at the audience, play doo-wop tunes, and then mix them up with some MC5 tunes about fighting the police or something. <laughs> but you know what? I remember that. back in the USA, I think they covered Tutti Frutti. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah John that's... Landau production, really terrible. It's like a, 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 a very much gelded, very much gelded. Let's put that one. So, right, right. Yeah, but you got no, no studies. <laughs> so what happened after high... What happened, what happened to... Uh, I love MC5, too. I think uh, Rob Tyner was actually a great singer. I mean, he's a trippy-looking dude, but so am I. <laughs> so Steve Boone. Hey, what, what, what happened after high school with you and guitar? Uh, well, okay, so, you know, like I went, they, I, they convinced me to go to college, and that lasted about, about a year and a half. <laughs> uh, it didn't end well uh, in Boston, and, you know, so I... I was like trying to write tunes and, you know, play. I kept playing guitar. I wound up in Maine. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really want to be a musician because, you know, I'd seen a little bit of my aunt's world, you know, like songwriters and professional musicians. And I thought, okay, I mean, I love my aunt and all, but she was like really cool. But I, just that whole world seemed was off of showbiz was kind of off-putting for me. But then, so I just, you know, I went to Maine, and I figured, okay, I'll, you know, I don't know, I'll do whatever I can. My big ambition was to learn arc welding so I could get a job in the bath shipyards or something like that. And then, uh, you know, I don't know. That's real good for the eyesight. (laughs) D. Boone's uh, half-brother did that. Yeah. Yeah, puts big little permanent blue things in the back of your eyeballs for (laughs) Well, I got those anyways, but, yeah. but um, uh, uh, so, so, but then I quickly realized, you know, like I was trying to get work up there and I quickly realized like the only thing I knew how to do was to play guitar. So I got gig, started getting gigs in, uh, with local bands and playing in local bars and playing bands up there and none of, you know, none 
none of them were particularly any good. Um, we drove, but we did drive around and play four sets a night. And like, I kind of learned to play, um, from doing that four or five sets a night. You know, it was, I mean, we, we didn't play, it wasn't top 40, wasn't original bands. We would do cover tunes, but I mean, basically it would have been a top 40 if we'd been smart enough to know what the top 40 was, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but we played bad, you know, we played crappy bars and holiday inns and whatever we could get. And, and, you know, when people would start to fight, you'd have to play a C and W tune. So I was doing that. Um, I took about 10 lessons on how, I, oh, I went briefly to a crummy, well, I, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. To I went briefly to a uh, music school up there. It was uh, University of Maine at Augusta, popular music program. I dropped out of that, too. Um, I took about 10 lessons with a really good bebop guitarist, which consists of my entire jazz education. And, what was um, his name? Pardon? His name. Oh, Tony Baffa. Yes, yeah, that's right. Give him some credit. Well, as far as I know, still up there. Yeah, that, no, no. That, I is should, the I whole, that is the whole of your jazz education. we got to give the man a name. No, no, he was great. He kind of gave me the entire Berkeley School of Music four-year education in ten lessons. Yeah, it was amazing. That's Econo. <laughs> he was a great guitarist himself. So, um, so what else? Oh, yeah, so and it's to, to plow through all this... You know, bullshit part. I didn't really care. You know, all I wanted to do was play guitar. I didn't really care what or how. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I decided to move down to New York. My relationship was crashing or whatever. I decided to move down to New York. My aunt said, oh, everybody's playing lots of gigs down here. I said, great, I'll come down. I guess I thought, well, maybe I'll be like a studio musician or something. Um, and it wasn't until after, you know, in, in Maine, I decided, I was playing rock music, but I decided I wanted to be a jazz musician also, which um, was, like in Maine, it looked like jazz was the music of freedom. Okay. But when I arrived in New York, what I quickly found out was that, you know, there was a lot, I didn't really walk right into the loft scene where people were experimenting a lot. Like, I kind of tried to do the regular jazz thing, and I was really bad at it. I got a gig with Brother Jack McDuff, you know, that lasted about months, you know. Um, uh, But I was always like, I mean, may he rest in peace, but he was always like glowering at me and yelling at me and giving me the death. And he was right, you know, um, kind of right. You know, like one day he got really mad at me and he said, you're not a jazz player. I mean, I would have given my left foot to, uh, to be, I mean, he would drive down the, down the road and, and have his headphones on. We'd be driving to Chicago or something and he'd drive for half an hour and then he'd take his headphones off and say, you know, George Benson learned all those tunes in, after one day and you're, you, you three weeks and you're still reading the charts. Then he put his headphones on for another 50 miles and he'd take them off and he'd say, you know, George Benson, when he played that, you know, like I was like grumbling, yeah, why don't you, George Benson, he says, you know, <laughs> but, but like, I mean, ultimately brother Jack was right. You know, I, what he said finally, when he got really amazing, you know, you're not a jazz player. You're not even an R and B player. You're a rock player. And it's me a couple to realize a he's right. You know, um, 
and B, realize that's all right. It is <laughs> you all know, right. it's not, you know, I mean, I, I have a lasting, in, in spite of the fact that Brother Jack was a hard teacher, I have a lasting affection for his music, you know, sure. and for, for a lot of, you know, there's certain forms of jazz that I just love, you know, including those, that organ quartet stuff, you know, every everybody, that whole scene, you know, Groove Holmes, you know, Sonny Stitt, people like that, um, you know, it, it's all uh, uh, McGri- Jimmy McGriff, Charles Erlin, sure. that, I, I love that that stuff, um, and I, you know, from there, it kind of skips from there, uh, and I love Django Reinhardt, but it kind of skips right from there to Sunship, you know, Sunship. like I kind of missed a lot of the yeah, I mean, to, to John Coltrane's son. No, Chuck. no, no. There was a cat here who named himself after that record, Drummer Man. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mel Nels knows about him. <coughs> it's a tricky oh. cat. Oh. Uh, but, <clears throat> look, one thing you don't have to worry about but now. But you know, I have a... Brother, Brother Matt's going to bring the spin cycle, and there's going to be no George Benson. <laughs> no bring George it, Benson. Matt. Well, you know... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
and they'll rub your wear brawl. I was naked to the waist with my fierce black hound. And I'm cooking up a Filipina box spring hog. Cooking up a Filipina box spring hog. Cooking up a Filipina box spring hog. A big pill in a dead alley road. A filling with my drone. Complain. Don't give a hoot what they say. Got slapped at a hog. Roll him over twice. Got a bitch with a sweet man brew. Got swap damn flies and chain up the dog. Cooking up a Filipina box spring hog. Cooking up a Filipina box spring hog. Cooking up a Filipina box
Brother right, Matt. Right. There it is. Brother Matt, thank you for bringing us what you brought us. Can you tell us why? Our guest. Okay. Hockey <laughs> boat. You he inspired gets, Brother Matt to bring forth his spin cycle. Yeah. Thank you much. Tom Waits got some totally distinctive sound, okay. and Mark got some of the most awesome guitar work on that stuff. Yeah. He's bitching, so thanks for that. Well, we asked him about it, but well, you don't remember. You. <laughs> you don't remember that? So much that? cool stuff. It's hard to separate all the Mark, cool do you stuff. remember those sessions? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> no, I do remember. Actually, I've... That tune I do remember because I think uh, I think that one was recorded in a um, in a repurposed uh, in, in a repurposed um, chicken farm, and you can <laughs> still kind of smell the chickens. And odor bit. to it. Or Tom do a yeah, lot of not that exactly stuff. Exactly the chickens. <laughs> Get that stuff. proper sound. <laughs> <laughs> no, but doesn't he live up in Petaluma or something? I think so. Because Petaluma is the chicken yeah, capital near, of California. Near, wow. up, in, up in Sonoma. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. It was, you know, one of the famous Petaluma chicken farms or something. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, but it, well, then it was a recording studio. Well, there's another music but, uh, um, There's another music thing about Petaluma. It's the home of Mesa Boogie. Oh, Carlos damn. Santana. Oh, huh. You know that Carlos Santana sound? Hmm. Mesa Boogie amps. Yeah. I have to say, I never really got along with those they always seemed like big heavy fuzz boxes to me <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't I understand what you mean so you know what that might have been a chicken ranch yeah, cool or farm <laughs> look we're at the end of the second hour well, they did, what, what's what, they was that mark the chickens on the record though okay but they had a big influence big influence well, I know about the shit they use to clean chicken shit off. Uh, the the methamphetamine yeah. cooks would use the ephedrine. Oh, yeah, right. That was their connect. Yeah. was always chicken farming. Ephedrine. Okay, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> What's interview. that? What's that? I'm learning a lot of really useful. Yeah, there was I'm also learning a, a lot guy. of really useful. Here's one, one, one more Petaluma thing. A guy with a lot of money, his boy got killed on a Vincent... Silver Shadow, you know, them uh, really fast bikes. Mm-hmm. They got one at Century, I think. Mm-hmm. So he tried to buy them all up and bury the motherfuckers wow. so no one would ever ride them again. Wow. You believe that shit? <laughs> We're at the end of the second hour. Wow. B Day, December 20, <laughs> 2018. Special guest, Mark Rabot. Hold tight, fire three. December 20, 2018. It's the third hour. The Watt for Pedro Show. Prairie 
words came low, and mournfully, from the pallid lips of the youth who lay. On his dying bed, at the end of the day, it matters not. I've often been told where the body lies, when the heart grows cold. But grand, oh grand, this wish to me. Bury me not on the lone prairie. In a narrow grave 
barely six by three. We buried him there.
Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Do it anyway.
Pebro show okay. we started off the third hour with uh, Bury Me Not on the Lone Prairie by the Magic the Majestic Silver Strings. What's that? What's, what's going on there? Oh, well, that's that band. Um, the band Majestic Silver Strings was a product, project put together by Buddy Miller, guitarist and band leader extraordinaire. Yeah, uh, he's kind of like the king of Nashville yeah, and, and an unbelievably great guitarist, you know. Um, by the way. You know, we just lost a great bass man, Joe Osborne. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. He played with wow. a pick. Hey, do you have a problem with bass players playing with a pick? I mean, I don't use them, but I think it's okay. <laughs> you know, it depends. You know, it's an effect that, that I, I like it when a bass player knows how to do that. And, can, you know, some people can do it, the whole thing. Some people can use it as a good effect. Yeah. You know, I mean... Most bass players that I work with play play with their fingers, but sometimes it works, you know. So oh, yeah. it depends on the tune. Yeah, yeah. Some dudes use their nail like a pig, like Chuck Rainey. Chuck Rainey uses the back picks. of his fingernail, and sometimes I do that because you can lose picks. It's hard mm -hmm. to lose fingers. <laughs> anyway, so Bobby Miller right. put this well, together, Majestic Silver too. Strings. Yeah, and the tune. That's right. But Buddy Miller put it together. You know, we. We recorded it down in his house in Nashville, and you know it was me, Frizzell, and and, and Greg Leeson. And anyways, it was, you know Jay Bella Rose, and and um, uh, uh, I guess it was about um, six years ago, um, maybe seven years ago. I don't know. I lost track. But really cool record. We never toured on it, so no, you know, because it was so hard to put. Um, all those different people together and you know at the same time but really really cool records another cool tune on on there is uh my friend uh mark anthony thompson sang the tune dang me you oh know? wow um, roger miller yeah roger miller too right. but our version was a little right. different. you know no like marcus uh, <laughs> also, uh, 
two weeks of pushing broom. Yeah, yeah, that, that okay. guy, but the song Dang Me, Dang Me, like... Radio, silent movies. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, <laughs> yeah, I can't read minds. you got to use words, Mark. What about it? Oh, words, words. Oh, stuff you want me to describe it. Do you want, you want me to talk about... No, just some kind of insight. breaking up. Just some kind of insight. Intro to silent movies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Silent movies. It was just you know I wanted to do a solo record, and people think that it was like a score to a silent movie or something, but really it was the opposite. I, like you know how silent movies are are film visual images that gives you ideas for sound. I wanted to do sound that gave you ideas for visual. That's great music. I really should have called the blind songs, but that didn't seem right either. Blind songs. That's great. Then we had Sad in the Sun, Live by Mind, Revolutionary, Hell Yeah. Dietrich and Barnes, that's John Dietrich from uh, Deerhoof. Jeremy Barnes, special questions. And finally, Do It Any Way You Want It by the Young Philadelphians. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, you know, that's um, I've, I've been jamming with uh, Jamaluddin Takuma and yeah. Alvin West, and, uh, yeah. who were the rhythm section on, on Ornette Coleman's original prime time band, which is like, you know, those well, early, prime, especially early prime time records of human feelings and all that were, uh, you know, were just some of my favorite ever. I saw um, uh, Calvin and, with uh, James Blood Ulmer and uh, Amin. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Amir, uh, Amin on the bass. Yeah. Rashid Ali's. No, Amin Ali's. And he quit bass, right? Right. Calvin's son got killed. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Incredible, oh, yeah. No, that's right. Okay, yeah, that's that right. Calvin Weston lives in Philadelphia, and that's where Jamal Dean. I saw Jamal Dean. That's this was the prime time with two bass, two drum, two guitar. He broke a string on the first <laughs> song and never changed. Did the whole set with three strings. Bitching. I, what about the spiritual oh, Jamal, unity? Jamal, yeah. I want to play the spiritual unity. Well, that was a band, you know, uh, Henry Grimes from you know who had played on some of my favorite albert eiler tracks um you yeah. know he was missing for a long time now nels helped uh, uh, nels klein helped bring him back well i didn't realize that nels was involved yeah, yeah. Yep. but that makes sense because nels was in la anyways no one knew he was out there in la but he just wasn't playing music he was living in an sro and That's you know right. barely surviving and uh, a, a number of people uh, i know you know margaret um well, who, who later married him, um, uh, became, uh, helped and, um, uh, anyways, I'm glad to hear Nels was involved. Um, people rediscovered him. And as soon as I heard he was back, I, I, you know, got in touch and I said, I'd like to do, a, uh, you know, a project. And so we started, we were, I figured starting on some Albert Eiler tunes would be a good place to start, but the band quickly grew from there and, you know, was meet him uh, and and Chad Taylor and the late Roy Campbell Jr. on trumpet. Um, and that's, you know, yeah, that's how that record came about. Well, let's listen.
It's not the world, it's a peace. Different between it wasn't and it won't. It isn't, yes, it can. When it is, then it don't. Our minds was first dream. Let the skipper do some dream. Our brain says your mind's burning off. We only exist when we're fed up. We are not alone. Are you with me? Life of searching, coming for some substantial situations. Waiting to the ignorant and the boring explanations. And life is searching, for some subtractive divisions and dictators when the conditions are right. All opposites appear backwards, just forgetting and that once are new. Solutions are nowhere now. Cruising round this mystic hole Solutions are no and Cruising round this mystic hole Solutions are no and Cruising round this mystic hole We only exist when we're thought of We are not alone Are you with me? It's not the world, it's a piece. Don't be dream, it wasn't and it won't. It isn't, yes it can. When it does, then it don't. Our minds whisper, scream. Let us skip into some dream. My brain says your mind's falling over
Why for Pedro Show? Yeah, Spiritual Unity. Project Mark was just telling us about. Uh, Aliyah, Heaven 11, out of Japan. And then, yo, I killed your God, Requiem, for what's his name? What's that, Raj? <laughs> um, wait, wait, hold on a second. Yo, I killed you. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's That was the name of the record. Requiem for what's his name. Uh, that was a long time ago, too. But, uh, yeah, that was like, yo, I killed you, God. Well, okay, the, the origin of the tune. I mean, that was, um, I think that was, uh, what were we calling Were we calling it, uh, were we calling it, still calling it Ruthless Cosmopolitan? I think we'd switched to the band name Shrek. I went through band names so so fast, <laughs> I can't even remember which, which one we were using on a particular CD. But, uh, yeah, that tune was part of my... Uh, brief radical new Jewish music phase and you know like I just remember I was arguing with this relative of mine who had become a fundamentalist Christian and is always oh, trying yeah. to bring me to uh, that's the greatest experience in the world <laughs> which I don't mind I don't mind whatever anybody believes you know it's cool but like he was being very persistent about trying to convince me to go where I just constitutionally was unable to go and so eventually I thought of this tune as a kind of response of why, explaining why. Well, I want to thank him for inspiring you on that. Then we had Thalem with uh, Just Forgetting It and Once New. And finally, Mark Rabot's Ceramic Dog with Lies My Body Told Me. Mark, you, you've got to play with Bob Quine. Can you tell me about him? He had such an influence on D. Boone. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, um, I mean... I, I was a huge fan before I met Quine. Like I, I was a big fan of of, of Voidoids, you know, and Richard Hell, and and I loved his work with that band. And then I met him through uh, Zorn. We played a we played on some some session together. He had two Zorn had two guitars, and it was for a some kind of Japanese cartoon. We were doing the score for a Japanese car, cartoon, and I remember like Zorn went to Quine and and said. You know, there was some scene that was like a crazy, chaotic thing, and it was like seven seconds, and told Quine, uh, I want you to sum up your whole, all your playing in just seven seconds. And then Quine said, yeah, okay, I'll just lay out. And <laughs> John Cage. And Quine, yeah, he was like, you know, he was, he, was a, he was a cool guy, and he hit me a little to a lot of music. He was an amazing record collector, the kind that would go, you know, and, uh, you know, go through, uh, ask, I mean, in the, in the mid-60s, you know, go to black neighborhoods in the Midwest and ask if he could buy people's records, you know. Uh, was uh, So he, he had an amazing record collection. I remember, and he would make me cassettes. He, he made me a, a cassette of, um, oh, what was it? Um, well, he made me a bunch. Of, well, he hit me to Henry Grimes first okay. of all. What, what do you think you, you know, learned most uh, on guitar from him? Well, um, I learned. Yeah, you know, first of all, his his sound was always amazing. He worked a lot on his sound, um, and had a always had a great, completely rock sound. And what I learned was, you know, I'm, he was I I would say a, a pure rock guitar guitarist um he in the sense not that he was playing any kind of rock cliches but in the sense that his sense of time and his sense of kind of terror while he was playing was um 
it was like almost a philosophical position. Yeah, uh, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I noticed that, like, you know, I noticed, I noticed this in my own playing too. But like, you know, everybody is when when you're trying to like when when you listen to a, a jazz soloist, um, even if they're playing a short solo, it sounds like. Uh, you know, it sounds like they have all the time in the world to get to the end, you know? Yeah. But if you listen to somebody who has a, a rock musician's sense of time, it sounds like, even if they have 20 minutes, it sounds like they're in a rush to get to the end because they're afraid they might die. Yeah. And like... Emotional. That, that's like just... Yeah, well, it's... And, and I, I don't mean necessarily you have to play a lot of notes. It's a, just a different way of experiencing time. Time. Yeah, and I, I think I know I, what you mean. It's almost like a philosophical position. Yeah, they're not, they're not, philosophical. not, so, uh, not so comfortable with the time. Exactly. Not so comfortable with, um, I mean, with, you know, it's not only a question of, I mean, okay, if you want to rock, you got to have good time. You have, you have to be able to make people dance and, you know, all that stuff. But there's something about uh, Quine's time. It, it, I don't mean time in the sense of just eight, the eighth note, but I mean in sense of time on this planet. Sure. Um, you could feel it in his solos from waves of fear on, you know. Um, there was an urgency uh, about about existence, is all I can say. So he had this thing, I mean he's really, I would say, one of the inventors of, of punk rock as a guitar solo style, you know, the ability to actually do a guitar solo. That's exactly what Dee Boone said. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, the Ramones weren't about solos, you know? Um, no, but Dee Boone was coming from John Fogarty, Buck Dharma and Pete Townsend. So when he heard Bob Quine coming from this movement, it was just a mind blow for him. Yeah, ex exactly. It was recognizably different. It was like it was a, a different language, and and it's interesting to me that Quine's language was new, but it was completely informed by like the whole history of rock. Yeah, right, right. He the, the yeah, man he, did his homework. He sent me a tape. Of, yeah, and I mean he did it like crazy. He he sent me a tape once, a cassette tape, which was just he cut you know he he edited out. The, the words, and he just Ike Turner guitar solos, and there was one solo from outtakes that he did reissue of like out Ike Turner outtakes on this song Matchbox. Yeah, and, and he put this one there three times, the same solo, just in case I he didn't just because he didn't want me to miss how amazing it was. So like, so Quine knew his shit. Yeah, you know, and it really in, he really influenced him no matter how. Um, you know, no matter how out he went, it was rooted in that. Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate to get to do that one recording with you. That was a great thing. Mark, what you got planned now? Um, well, right now, nothing. I'm okay. I'm kind of not doing much until the. I I just did a. I just got home from a bunch of touring. Yeah. Uh, touring with Ceramic Dog. Um, and then coming in. Uh, uh, Towards the end of January, I have some more touring with Ceramic Dog and some of the songs and Resistance Project stuff to do. 
Okay. And in between then, I'm going to um, meditate. That's good. <laughs> and people, people can find you on the internet at uh, markrebo.com? Uh, yeah, Ma- all one word, markrebo.com. Okay, people, that's M-A-R-C-R-I-B-O-T dot C-O-M. Check it out, because he's got beautiful shit there. Spelled it right, didn't I? You did. Thank you. You know, it's been beautiful having you aboard. You've been a hero of mine a long time. I love the way you work your guitar, oh, the way you do music, man. the whole the whole fucking slabang. I, now I got to learn about your journey through music. Man, and it man was, was an inspiration to us all. <laughs> You're most kind. But and what, what a way to celebrate turning 61. Thank you, Mark, so much. And Brother Matt, always yeah, your essential Happy birthday, Pleasure. brother. Happy okay. birthday. Pleasure. Only 61 more. It's been the 2018 edition. Why for Pedro Show? People, keep your powder dry. Yeah.